Hey, Soma Midtown, this is Pastor Brandon back with Hannah Anderson, and we are um, back to talk about the vocation of marriage. But before we do, Hannah, how's it going? It's so good to have you uh, here in person. For those who were here uh, in person on Sunday, we got to spend, Emily and I got to spend the weekend with Hannah, and then you guys got to see Hannah in person. Uh, was it nice to not be recording a video on Thursday or Friday, but actually to be here in person? It was really wonderful um, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, to be able to connect with people, to talk with folks um, after the service, to spend time with you and Emily, um, to not have to create a video and edit it. I, I literally would probably fly every weekend to not have to do that. Oh, I wish we could do that. That'd be awesome yeah. to have you every weekend. But it was fun and to get to see a baptism on Sunday night. I mean, you, I feel like yeah, you... that was lovely. I, I just want to say this. I, I shared this with you while I was out, um, you know, being able to be part of a missional community um, gathering on Sunday night um, to participate in a baptism was just so life-giving to me. I've, I've spent a lot of time over the last decade in more kind of structured, established churches that formalize a lot of things. But my earlier years, um, my husband and I were in part of churches that had more missional community feel to them. And it was just such a sweet moment of, I don't know, connection and community and seeing how significant and important that kind of um, closeness is within a larger body. So mm. I just thought I got to be on the edges and got to kind of be a visitor and participate, but it was a really life-giving um, evening for me. Well, it is. And it's so just, I mean, I feel like just from my spirit, it's after a year and a half almost now of COVID where we're, you know, we're seeing each other as uh, physical threats, <laughs> Um, it's nice to be able to show up, hug, touch, baptize, do these things that are part of our normal embodied life together. Um, so for me, and it was just a big, it was a big lift and we're just, Emily and I are really grateful for your friendship and hopefully next time we can get Nathan, uh, along with yeah. you because Nathan's a fun part of the, the package deal of it the Andersons package deal. that we all yeah. missed out on. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a good segue, uh, in getting into the vocation of marriage, um, thinking about, uh, this neighboring vocation. We talked last week about singleness, which was a really fun conversation. And I get to go back and listen to that between you and Jackie and Taylor. Um, and so thinking about the neighboring vocation this week of marriage. So help us uh, again, can you recap a little bit for those who maybe missed the sermon on Sunday? Um, what is marriage? Um, and how is it maybe different than the ways that we often think about marriage, uh, even within the church? Yeah, I think one of the first ways that we kind of threw a curveball for folks was um, we define marriage in context of vocation rather than relationship or relationship status. So for the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about vocation in, as a general concept that, that God is calling you through the particular details of your life. Um, to serve him and love others. And, and this is all within his providence that, that he is bringing and ordering things together in your life so that you can live out the call to love him and love others in very specific ways. And when you apply that to marriage and you begin to think of marriage, not just as a relationship that you've chosen, but as a calling, uh, what emerges is a picture of God calling a man and woman together into a faithful covenant partnership 
with a very particular purpose. It's for the purpose of loving him and loving others through that coupling. And it, it kind of um, emerges from Matthew 19, particularly we, we pointed folks to that text where Jesus is defining marriage and he defines it this way. Haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And some of the underlying logic there is that God is doing something. He's calling people together and he's joining them together for a purpose. And the reason we landed there is because a lot of the logic of first Corinthians seven, where Paul is talking about marriage is based on this vision of marriage, this definition of marriage as a calling and a vocation and not simply a relationship that we opt in and opt out of. Doesn't sound very romantic, Hannah. I mean, that no. sounds very like uh, pedestrian and just kind of ordinary. Like I'm thinking about, you know, um, just a couple coming together and saying, you know, I've been called to marry you. That doesn't sound like how we, it sounds Against very jarring. Will, I have been called. <laughs> sounds like Jonah um, receiving a call, but, but it, it does kind of take some of the pressure off. I mean, it's, but, but that is different, I guess is what I'm saying than the ways it's we different. often think about things now in terms of how, even within the church, we talk about marriage. Yeah. And I think another piece that we have to remember is that a vocation is discovered it's discerned. So it doesn't just drop into your lap and you don't get this, you know, email one day saying this is the person you're going to marry. And so God uses um, not just the details of our lives, you know, where we live, who we know, our communities, but also our own desires and our own kind of uh, the way we're made up. And so I think the way we experience the call often does come through um, a bit of who do I find interesting or who am I attracted to? And so we might experience it in a more romantic way sometimes, um, potentially at the beginning, particularly. Um, but that's almost one of the ways God leads. It itself is not the calling, right? So I, I, I don't want to completely dismiss um, the experience of of finding someone that you mesh with really well and you want to join your lives together. But again, um, God is doing this. This is something bigger than us. And it's something that the man and woman enter into rather than create for themselves. Talk to me about, I know you, you talked about this a little bit in turning of days, but your relationship with Nathan, how did you discover that calling? I know for some that maybe dating or just thinking about discerning that, um, it can be tricky. It can be complicated. Um, it is complicated all the way through. Um, you know, and it, yeah. How did, how did that work for you, Nathan? Yeah. I, I joke, Nathan and I both joke that we will never split up cause we never want to date again, <laughs> <laughs> but we, um, met at college and we were very young. Um, and honestly, I did not have a lot of dating relationships or experiences. Um, I, I wasn't even really worried about that kind of thing. I wasn't concerned about marriage. I wasn't like waiting to be found or to be married. Um, so when we met, um, I actually was introduced to him by his sister, which was a nice 
kind of link because I was friends with her and she knew both of us. And so one thing that was helpful was that community was involved. Um, she could identify knowing him so well and knowing me so well. She wasn't playing matchmaker, but she was kind of a voice that could speak to us and said, hey, maybe you two should um, spend some time together and get to know each other. And then um, as we started that process, God used very particular things to kind of help solidify drawing us together. And in the book, I write about just my, my husband, Nathan, grew up um, in the country, similarly to the way I had grown up. And he knew about a particular tree frog um, that to that point, I had not met anyone else who knew this tree frog. And so even though I did not marry him because he knew about this tree frog, it was kind of a providential uh, moment to say, stop, there's something here. There's something that aligns. There's something that's interesting. There's something that you should be curious about. There's something you should press into. And then, um, you know, eventually as we just got to know each other better, we saw that a lot of our desires and our hopes and the kinds of things we believed we were called to individually were being lined up and that we would be able to fulfill those callings better as a couple mm. than if we tried to do them individually. Yeah, I feel like that's very similar to uh, Emily and I's story as well. We met when we were, I was, I don't know, 16, 17, and um, she's a year younger than me. And and it, I think we had a friendship first, and we actually had both kind of started getting involved in in the church that we were part of at the time. I was a new Christian, and uh, and then going into college, we like went on some mission trips together. We started serving together. Um, I think at one point uh, we both like were dating different people, um, but it was always kind of one of those things when, for, at least for me, like I kind of compared the people I was dating to her and our the friendship that we had, and um, and I think at one point like her mom said, you know, you should really think about dating Brandon, and she was like, I will never, and and of course when you say I will never, you know, that's just inviting God to do something surprising, you know, and so uh, it was through our friendship though, and we both served in youth ministry. Um, and we were we were engaged like in kind of ministry together long before we had a romantic interest, even uh, full blown romantic romantic interest. And and that almost in some ways it made us hard for us to enter into the romantic piece because we were such good friends that we didn't have that next category. But it also was emerging naturally and organically as well. And so um, it, it's it was for us it was very different than than kind of a romantic thing that uh, the other stuff came later, the serving and stuff came later, very much this friendship that uh, and ministry partnership that evolved. But we had a lot of these similar interests that uh, called a ministry. She went to Bible college. I was going to seminary. Um, and it, it really kind of came together in community, like you said, um, with other people kind of urging us on like, Hey, you guys should think about this, you know, and, and even helping arrange that uh, initial date. Um, when I think in different seasons, different, uh, either she wasn't feeling it or I wasn't feeling it. And then finally, you know, it, it came together, but that does present some challenges. You know, as you think about the, the primary way that our culture talks about, um, marriage and about relationships is through this lens of, um, romantic relationship and really the fulfillment of romantic desires with one another and marriage becoming the primary place where we work out and try to find those uh, those desires fulfilled. So yeah, just talk a little bit about that and how uh, we, we talked Sunday about kind of the ancient 
uh, approach to marriage as kind of social status. But the contemporary moment that we're in is very different, and it presents a whole different set of challenges for couples that are um, Christian couples that are trying to to get started. And in our church, a lot of people in those early years of marriage, dating, first five years of marriage. Um, so talk about some of the ways that that puts pressure on uh, marriage. Yeah, I think, you know, our culture right now, marriage has become uh, the the kind of catch all for a lot of things that used to exist in different places in society, right? So um, when we had thicker communities, you had multiple relationships that were fulfilling multiple parts of your your needs for relationship, friendship, um, you know, working together, all these different things. But but as we have tended toward a more, and, and the, the idea is a romantic view of marriage, it's that this person is your soulmate they are your best friend they will be everything for you and they will once you find them your world will be complete and not only that you will be complete as if there is something missing in you that you're only half a person and you have to go find this other half of you that exists out in the world and when the stakes are that high you're just asking for trouble uh number one if you don't find someone like that that gives you that feeling you're gonna like you know just kind of well then am I ever going to marry because I like it has to be the perfect person or it has to be this deeply profoundly um, existential experience um, but as well I think it, it sends a message not just to married people but to single people too that if that's not happening if you're not experiencing that in your marriage, that something's wrong with it, that um, somehow you've missed the right person, that you have uh, failed to, um, you need to get out of this and find another person. Um, and it just ups the stakes in a way that is not sustainable. And, and I think, you know, you can see this in like romantic comedies for sure, that kind of whirlwind romance, but, but it's even within our legal framework. So I was thinking about this in relationship to the Supreme court um, decision to legalize gay marriage and Obergefell and the, the rationale that the court used was not just that marriage is a right that everybody should be able to have if they want it. It was something to the effect that if you couldn't be married, you would be doomed to loneliness for your entire life. That the justification for opening up marriage was this is like the only way you can be complete in our society. So it, we see it culturally within cultural artifacts, music, movies, whatever, but it is even within our, our legal framework. That's the justification. And within that framework, it's very hard um, to live a faithful Christian ethic because once the feeling is gone, once the romance isn't as strong as it was the first day you felt it, you're going to be really tempted to eject. Yeah, and there, yeah, that's true. And there is such a pressure to on like compatibility, like finding somebody who's a fit. Yeah, I think of uh, Hotel Transylvania is one of my kids' favorite movies. I don't know if you guys ever watched that, but throughout that, <laughs> the theme of um, one of the key themes of like the way that uh, Dracula, the Count Dracula and his wife met was there was this idea of the zing, 
Mm. And so he's always trying to talk to his daughter about finding the zing. And if you don't have the zing, you don't have a real relationship. And, and I think we're looking for that zing, looking for the right person. And yet the reality is, um, if, if it's true that we're, uh, we're sinners, we never marry the right person, you know? And I think that pressure to find the right person really can turn us away from some really great potential partners in ministry. Um, uh, because the truth is we never married the right person. And even if you did marry the right person, uh, let's say that was compatible. Um, I think it's Lewis Smeads, who's a te- Christian teacher and author. He talks about how his wife has been married to like six different versions of himself. As you get older, the dynamic nature of life and trauma and um, things that you live means that we're always changing through these different seasons of life. And we're, we are going to have to learn. I think Smeads says we have to learn to, to live with the stranger that we find on the other side of the bed. Yeah. And I think that um, there's this pressure to have an amazing marriage instead of just, you know, kind of embracing like, Hey, it's going to be ordinary. There's going to be moments where it's awesome. And there's going to be moments where it's hard, but, um, but, you know, it, 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 it seems to be setting it up for failure from the beginning. If um, we have to find the right person and we can't acknowledge that, you know, we're going to be morphing and shifting and changing. And so there's this dance that we're doing uh, throughout our marriages. And, and really, you know, you've, it, it's, it's hard, you know, like you're, if it's about self-fulfillment, you know, there's so much negotiating. There's so much, like if we're just two selves battling one another, I mean, I think about some of the big decisions we've had to make in our marriage about work and about schooling our kids and about adoption and about moving to Indiana to plant a church. I mean, if it's just about both of us kind of asserting our wills and trying to fulfill ourselves, um, man, we just set ourselves up for what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the wish dream, which we know he says comes crashing down in the realities of life. Yeah. And, and because we want to make the point too, that just because um, we're pushing back against a romantic vision of marriage, we're not um, jettisoning jettisoning a uh, vision for wholeness and unity. Okay, we're just saying you build that wholeness and unity in a different way. So I think to your point that a more kind of self-fulfillment vision leads to that um, uh, parallel selves, like because you're always focused on, am I feeling this? And we're actually saying, you know what, if you if you take this other route, you're going to find more unity, you're going to find more partnership, you're going to have better pathways to fulfilling uh, a fulfilling marriage, but also fulfilling the vocation that God has given to you as a couple and as a family. Mm. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really appreciate, again, about 1 Corinthians 7, is that, you know, Paul is very earthy, as you say, he's very prosaic, he's very mundane in the way that he just, you know, he says, hey, don't put your ultimate hope in marriage. Uh, marriage is an earthy thing that is like everything else passing away. There's going to be a day when we're not married, as we said, with singleness last week. Um, and so, you know, it, it sets us up for a more realistic view of marriage where we're open to the beautiful possibilities, but we also can survive the the brokenness as well and not despair, you know? And I think that's what Paul is wanting to set us up for is I don't want you to have anxiety. I want you to have a freedom in the way that you live out your calling um, with God to love God and to love others. Um, and so we, we, as we kind of, I guess, begin to, um, move towards application here, we, we talked about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that Paul, uh, talks through. He talks about 
sexuality and meeting each other's needs uh, in holistic ways. He talks about the temptations to leave difficult marriages um, and being married maybe to somebody who's not a believer. And what do you do in that situation? And and then he talks about singleness. Um, we we said some hard things, and I think it'd be good to maybe <coughs> excuse me, circle back on some of those and talk about some of the the hard things as well as you know how do we in just the normal course of the mundaneness how do we embrace the beautiful uh, potentials of our vocation of marriage as well um so yeah maybe just let's talk through that again for a second here um in terms of some of the the i guess the challenges you know when we're in a difficult season of marriage paul gives us some helpful pastoral wisdom right he's writing to a congregation with people that were struggling in a very difficult context you know right and i and i think what we cannot overstate is that the assumptions about what goodness and beauty and long-term fulfillment looks like that Paul is borrowing from are radically different than what our society is borrowing from. So the, the kinds of ways that Paul talks about marriage only make sense if you believe in Christ in the resurrection. These aren't helpful tips that apply to every marriage. They, they just don't because there's a there's an underlying belief that your long-term union with God is of greater significance than your union with your partner, with your earthly partner. And so there are some very hard things that he says, including like um, the ability, the opportunity for a Christian spouse to be a conduit of grace and holiness into a family, into a marriage um, where the other spouse is not believing. And he actually argues for stay in this if you possibly can stay in this marriage because you don't know what God's going to do. You don't know how your presence could be a sanctifying feature within this home. And that kind of language makes no sense to people who are building marriages for this temporal time. The, the, the way they would look at this is, well, I'm not compatible with this person. We don't have the same religious views. I'm wasting time being with this person. I only have 70 or 80 years on this earth. I've already given them 15 to 20 or whatever, wherever you are. Why would I give them any more? And so even within that example, Paul's call to give more is based on the fact that he's he's defining time in an eternal sense and he's defining goodness in ultimate union ultimate goodness which is union with christ so again when we hear these things he's saying we cannot hear them within worldly categories we have to hear them within the categories of christ's kingdom and the resurrection yeah, and just talk to me a little about as you've, I know you've walked through, we certainly walk through this a lot with folks in the church that are in difficult marriages where you have uh, a husband that's not treating his wife the way that he should or a wife that's not treating her husband the way that she should or some combination of both, you, you know, it's never just one party. Um, there's, a, there's a contribution that different people are making to this, but there are times when you have a partner that's trying to stay, trying to be faithful, trying to love, trying to challenge, um, and it's just not going well. You know, how, do, how, do, how would... How would you encourage people that are in those kinds of situations to, um, to, 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 as they're trying to really give their best loyalty and allegiance to Christ and still stay in a very difficult situation that's not fulfilling? Right. Um, you know, how, how, do, how, do you, how do you do that in a way that um, you maintain a sense of hopefulness? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, again, 
the the understanding of how to navigate these very sticky questions within difficult marriages is based on what we said on Sunday, that marriage is not your ultimate hope. Because marriage is not your ultimate hope, you can stay because um, you're not counting on your fulfillment in this life to be all the fulfillment you're getting, right? And we, we just talked about that. Like you can stay because this life is not all you have. But the flip side of that is also marriage is not your ultimate hope. So if a spouse leaves, if there is abuse or there is abandonment or adultery, these are the categories that scripture offers up as bases for separation and divorce. If those things happen, marriage is not your ultimate hope. And I think there there is a well-intentioned pushback against a divorce culture. We, we live in a culture, marriages come and go, and we see that as not that, you know, not God's will. And so we push back against that. But I think there's also the temptation to then make marriage the hope. If I can just stay, then I can fix this person. And, and that's a very different thing than saying God is calling me to stay so I can be a conduit of grace and holiness. And it may sound like a nuance, but it is a radically different thing because it's where you're placing your hope and it's who you're responding to. And so I think that's why Paul's advice, especially in 1 Corinthians 7, seems so confusing because at one point he's saying you can leave. You know, if your spouse leaves, don't worry, you're not under bondage. But then he turns right around and says, but try to stay because you don't know what God's going to do. And he can he can give those parallel um that parallel advice precisely because the underlying logic is your marriage is not ultimate hope this is not where you're placing your hope and so as you walk through this on a very practical level i think you walk through it um, with community you walk through it with people who have maybe more perspective on your marriage than you do you're in the thick of it you you will get wrapped up in it and not be able to see what's actually happening um, you walk through it with people who are committed to your long-term good, who who have been there from you know from you know all of the ups and downs, and they are not just going to throw away something or keep it for pragmatic reasons. Um, so I think you can't understate the necessity of community as well. This is not something we do on our own. Yeah, and I just want to be clear, and we didn't, this wasn't a sermon on divorce on Sunday, but we've taught on this over the years. We've taught on this in Sermon on the Mount. We've taught on this in Genesis. We teach uh, a premarital class. Um, we, I do weddings all the time and I have these very specific statements around marriage and divorce that are part of that. So I think we have a long history as a church of being clear about um, the, the larger context of marriage and divorce. But I want to say it again, just for those who maybe are new to our community or haven't heard us say that. That, you know, because marriage is um, such a sacred calling from God, um, divorce is is not a, a thing to be entered into lightly. You know, divorce is a traumatic, traumatic reality. The, the death of a marriage, uh, the breaking of a marriage covenant is so um, tragic and so, um, um, so, yeah, just traumatic is just the word that comes to mind. It, it rips apart the fabric of the spiritual unity that God has invited us into in marriage. And we've said before, it's it's 
not just about dividing up assets or visitation rights or legal proceedings. It's like cutting off an appendage. It's like losing an arm. It's as you said uh, earlier, it's almost as if you're being decapitated. You're losing a significant part of um, of your body and of your 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 spirits being ripped and torn in a sense. And so that's why God's heart is for marriage. It's for repentance. It's for reconciliation. And this would have been mind-blowing even in a Jewish and Roman context, which mandated divorce when there was sexual unfaithfulness and infidelity. Um, and so when Jesus um, is, is speaking, he's speaking against a background where people were trivializing, specifically men and, and the religious leadership in Matthew 19, were trivializing marriage and trying to trap Jesus. They were not concerned for um, those who are being victimized by this. And so divorce is the last option. Divorce is not something we ever want to enter into lightly, as we said Sunday. And when Paul says, you can leave, it, it's a concession. It's not a command. It's 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 something that, of course, breaks God heart, God's heart in Paul's. But Paul's also a realist, and he's trying to help people um, live at peace. And so I just want to kind of, again, put that in that context and say, this is not something that we take lightly. If you're in a difficult marriage, um, we want to we want to talk through that. I mean, we've had people, matter of fact, that have you know left our church because we've tried to uphold the the beauty of marriage and called them to to not divorce lightly. Um, and so, it's always a really challenging situation. And yet, there are so many men and women that are in impossible marriages, in marriages where the marriage covenant has been broken, and to leave is an act of mercy. Um, and it's something that we as pastors in very rare cases have had to enter into and say, yes, like this, this thing is so broken that the only way that you can live at peace is to separate yourself from this abusive person or to separate yourself from this toxic situation and then begin to figure out what singleness might look like or what reconciliation might look like in the future. And so it's not even the last word in that sense. But I think there's just so much shame when we talk about this in the church that I, my heart is that. Um, people would not feel like divorce is the unforgivable sin or the divorce is the end of their life or divorce is the end of their faith, that there is um, life on the other side of that. Um, and so to not have to carry that stigma as they think about working through these conversations on top of the difficulties that um, divorce already brings. Absolutely. And, and I think this kind of trauma, relational and vocational trauma is always... Um, going to be a remarkable asset, access point for the gospel and to create communities that can see the uh, just the pain and the um, trauma that is happening in marriages also is a place where people can come to to know the love and the safety and the security that Christ offers them. Um, we don't do people any favors by holding them at arm's length or, um, you know, giving them license. Neither of those um, responses is what Christ does for us. And so again, even within this conversation, we want to make sure that we're keeping the focus again on the gospel's ability to change us, to change other people, and to heal us um, so that we can love God the way he has called us to, and we can love each other, which within the, the context of marriage um, means faithful love to the one that God has partnered us with. And, that, and the encouraging thing is it's remarkably ordinary. I mean, that's the thing I think I just want to close with is 
the the pattern of sacrificial love and service is not sentimental at its core. It's not that it lacks emotion or it lacks romance. I mean, there's certainly pleasure. Proverbs writes about that. Song with song. We have a whole books of the Bible talking about, you know, romantic pleasure and marriage, but it is more earthy in the sense that it's, it's a friendship, you know, it's, it's meeting each other's needs. Paul says that, you know, it's giving yourself to this person, trying to meet their needs, trying to protect them, um, affirming them, you know, being dialed in relationally with them, serving them in the day in and day out. Um, and, and the gospel gives us the resources for that, you know, confessing our sins to each other, um, uh, finding resources for change and transformation, not giving up hope. Um, but also when things are good, being able to actually enjoy that as a gift and to say, God, thank you for this friend. Um, and, uh, and really just building into that friendship together, praying together, you know, like Paul talks about just very normal things where we as individuals, um, are called into relationship with each other. That doesn't obliterate our individuality. It doesn't obliterate the distinctions and the unique calling that God has on us as individuals. Um, it strengthens it as we're, as we find ourselves differentiating ourselves, being able to understand what we value, understand who we are as people, and then to have a safe place to, to experience trust and safety and vulnerability. Um, and to be able to grow together, like you said, over a lifetime in partnership, finding a ministry and, and serving together. It, it is very ordinary, but it's very beautiful in that sense where there's not this apocalyptic pressure on us and we can feel the freedom to grow and change and fail and find forgiveness and mercy and grace together as a, as a community, you know? And so, yeah. Um, just any closing thoughts and we gotta, we gotta go and we're going to uh, pray here, but just, yeah. Any other closing thoughts or encouragements for those who, again, in our context, I feel like mostly are in those early years of marriage, just trying to figure mm -hmm. this stuff out. You know, I, I would just say, if God has called you to marriage, he's called you to a good work and it is work. And it's good. And I think maybe those two features have been what have guided me and Nathan over the last 20 years is understanding that there's a level of just pitching in, building into the partnership, you know, just like you said, it's very earthy, it's very pro prosaic, it's very ordinary. It is just a level of work, but it's also very good. And it is for the life and health of yourselves and for your family and for those around you. And it doesn't have to be um, this apocalyptic romance, as you said, to be a very, very good thing. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Well, let me pray over us and pray over our community here. Um, thank you for this conversation. Um, Father, thank you for just the opportunity to uh, be reminded about both the beauty and the the difficulties of the vocations of singleness and marriage, but specifically here this week, singleness. God, help us to honor uh, this calling to marriage, to respond to your call, to discover what it looks like to uh, live in the vocation of marriage as faithful partners, um, loving you, loving each other, loving the world through marriage. God, help us through both the good seasons um, to be grateful for the gift uh, of marriage and um, to work hard to cultivate a pattern of sacrificial love that um, is rooted in your self-giving, um, Jesus, you coming to be for us, we cannot be for ourselves, saving us, redeeming us, and then giving us the ability to offer that grace and truth to one another um, through, the, through the vocation of marriage. 
And when things are difficult, would you sustain us? Would you give us wisdom? Would you just draw near to those who uh, feel hopeless and helpless? And God, would, would the church become a safe place for us to find encouragement and support in those difficult seasons, to be reminded that our ultimate hope and identity is in you and in our union and communion with you? Um, but God, would you just transform? I pray for just deep transformation in the marriages in our church that we might um, experience uh, supernatural, miraculous manifestations of your presence and power among us and, uh, and, and give you glory for that. And God, see uh, reconciliation happen in spaces that feel impossible. And where that's not possible, God, would you just give us grace to, um, to just continue to trust in you and give you our greatest loyalty uh, and devotion and commitment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.